0: Hello, and welcome to the Point of Care podcast. Today's episode is on the inpatient management of community-acquired pneumonia. For some background and definitions, pneumonia is inflammation of lung parenchyma, commonly caused by an infection that can affect alveoli, bronchioles, and the interstitium. Pneumonia is the leading cause of infectious death in industrialized countries, including the U.S., and the most common cause of sepsis. Community-acquired pneumonia, or CAP, is any infectious pneumonia contracted outside of a hospital setting. Historically, some pneumonias were noted to be atypical. They had milder symptoms, dry cough, and an interstitial pattern on chest x-ray, along with different response to antibiotics. We now know that this difference is because certain organisms preferentially exert their effect on the interstitium. Confusingly, Atypical can refer to either the pneumonia itself or the bacteria that often cause it, including chlamydia, legionella, and mycoplasma. Note, however, that viruses are the most common cause and that atypical does not imply uncommon. For the etiology and pathophysiology, the most common bacteria for CAP include strep pneumo, H flu, and Moraxella catarralis. However, a pathogen is only detected in 38% of patients who are admitted with concern for pneumonia. As such, the diagnosis of bacterial CAP should focus on 1. An evidence of systemic inflammation with a white count with a neutrophil predominance, an elevated procalcitonin, fevers, chills, fatigue, and myalgias. 2. Pulmonary signs and symptoms including hypoxia, a productive cough, and dyspnea, and 3 chest x-ray evidence of opacities. Pneumonia is almost always associated with the microaspiration of airborne pathogens or pharyngeal secretions and is very rarely transmitted via hematogenous dissemination. Pneumonia is often seen in patients with failure of lung protective mechanisms like a cough reflex, mucociliary clearance, or dysfunction of alveolar macrophages. Pneumonia causes hypoxia Via infiltration and inflammation in alveoli and interstitium, which leads to decreased ventilation and VQ mismatch. It also leads to intrapulmonary shunting from right to left as blood continues to flow to affected areas and does not exchange oxygen. The expected time course of treated bacterial pneumonia is that the fever should resolve within two to four days, the hypoxia within three to six days and a chest x-ray wouldn't be expected to clear for around one to three months. When you're admitting a patient with CAP, follow this checklist. As always, start with the ABCs. Assess for severe CAP and the need for ICU-level care. While there's specific criteria, the respiratory rate is likely key. If it's high, it might lead to the patient tiring out and need for mechanical intubation. CAP is considered severe if you need to be mechanically ventilated, or have a press requirement. Or three or more of any of the following. Altered mental status, hypotension requiring resuscitation, hypothermia, a respiratory rate greater than 30, an O2 requirement, a white count less than 4, a B BUN greater than 20, platelets less than 100, or multi-lobar pneumonia on chest x-ray. Together, these can give you a sense of where the patient likely needs to get care. For triaging, we often think about CURB-65 or the Pneumonia Severity Index, or PSI, historically known as the PORT score. While together, these scores can be helpful for differentiating sick versus not sick, at the end of the day, your clinical gut trumps all. When you're doing your chart check, look for underlying lung disease, a history of baseline oxygen needs, any previous culture data, whether the patient has received any antibiotics in the last 90 days whether they have any antibiotics allergies, and if they have influenza and pneumococcal vaccinations. Things that you can't miss include hypoxemia, respiratory failure, sepsis, a pulmonary embolism, and ACS. Beyond your basic admission orders, you should also be thinking about how often you want to be getting pulse oximetry readings, whether the patient needs any supplemental O2. For labs, you should be thinking about sending a procalcitonin, a MRSA nasal swab, and whether or not you should get an RVP and urinary legionella or strep antigens. Blood cultures in general are only sent if it's concerned for severe pneumonia or sepsis. You can consider getting a CT if you're worried about a PE or if the diagnosis is uncertain or because you need to look for other complications. Your initial treatment you should be considering is whether you want to continue, broaden, or narrow the antibiotics that have been given in the ED based on the severity and risk factors, And you should also be thinking about whether or not you want to give steroids in severe CAP. When you see the patient, for your HPI intake, get a sense of when the symptoms started and what the trajectory of those symptoms have been. Symptoms can include dyspnea, cough, sputum production, fevers, chills, rigors, fatigue, myalgias, pleuritic chest pain, hemoptysis, night sweats, weight loss, and diarrhea. CAP is less likely if there's a presence of a sore throat or rhinorrhea, which is more consistent with the URI. In their history, ask about prior infections, sick contacts at home, recent travel, animal exposures, occupational exposures, tuberculosis exposures, recent healthcare exposures or antibiotics use, allergies, and if they have them, what the reaction was, as well as a history of smoking. Mercer risk factors include recent influenza, IV drug use, the presence of skin pustules, the presence of a cavitary pneumonia, and a positive nasal swab. Pseudomonas risk factors include COPD and asthma, bronchiectasis, immunosuppression, dwelling in a nursing home, and any recent healthcare exposure. Aspiration risk factors include dementia or altered mental status, alcohol or other drug use, trouble swallowing, GERD, poor dentition, and if the patient is bedridden. When performing your physical exam, for general, note their appearance, their oxygen needs, breathing effort, respiratory rate, and if they're rigoring or diaphoretic, and if they appear altered. For their pulmonary exam, note any crackles, wheezing, or reduced breath sounds. You can check for bronchophony, which is increased clarity and pitch of voice heard over certain areas of the lung, egophony, which is when the E sounds like an A, tactile fremitus, In which vibrations are more pronounced, dullness to percussion, and note the appearance of a patient's sputum. For their cardiac exam, note their rhythm and the presence of any murmurs and an elevated JVP. For their extremities, note if there's any edema and their capillary refill. And for their skin, note any rashes, including erythema multiforme or the presence of petechiae. For your etiology and differential, when it comes to pulmonary infections, viral is the most common. These can include common things like RSV, rhinovirus, and adenovirus, as well as influenza and COVID. Bacterial infections include strep pneumo, H flu, moraxella, and atypicals including legionella, mycoplasma, and chlamydia. You can't miss MRSA or MSSA, pseudomonas, and other things might be E. coli or Klebsiella. Fungal infections can include PJP, aspergillus, Histoplasmosis, coccidioides, and candida, and these are usually only seen in patients who have immunosuppression. Non infectious pulmonary etiologies can include aspiration pneumonitis, atelectasis, PE, an obstruction or plugging, COP, ILD, lung cancer, chemical or drug induced pneumonitis, and diffuse alveolar hemorrhage, or DAH. Cardiac etiologies can be ACS, or acute decompensated heart failure, which can mimic pneumonia. And other miscellaneous etiologies can include RA, lupus, sarcoid, vasculitis, and acute chest. And as a reminder, you can't miss sepsis, PE, or ACS. For your treatment plan and your antibiotic selection, in general, five to seven days is good for CAP, but you might need anywhere from 10 to 14 days for severe CAP, MRSA, or pseudomonas and Legionella. CAP treatment includes a beta-lactam, most commonly ceftriaxone in the inpatient setting, along with azithromycin or doxycycline to cover atypicals. If you need to cover for pseudomonas, you can do piptazo or cefepime, and if you need to cover for MRSA, you can do vancomycin or linazolid. If the patient has severe CAP, you can give steroids, including hydrocortisone 50mg Q6. You'll then taper based on their clinical improvement. You should also be thinking about source control. Large peridemonic effusions and any empyema will need to be drained via thoracentesis. You should consider this if it's greater than 10 millimeters, if it's more than half of their hemithorax, or if you're suspect that it might be causing dyspnea. For supportive care, you can give acetaminophen for fevers and incentive spirometry to prevent atelectasis. You can also give benzonatate, dextromethorphan, or codeine for cough. Though be careful, about preventing patients from bringing up their own secretions. In general, patients can be discharged when they've been afebrile for 48 to 72 hours and they're at their baseline O2 requirements and have had stable vitals. Before moving on to clinical pearls, if you remember nothing else, you triage by assessing for severe CAP and calculating a CURB-65 and PSI score. For diagnosis of bacterial pneumonia, focus on pertinent symptoms, evidence of systemic inflammation, and radiological evidence of pneumonia. For typical inpatient cap, give ceftriaxone and azithromycin or doxycycline. You don't need to cover for anaerobes even if you're concerned for aspiration. If concerned for MRSA or pseudomonas, give vanc or linazolid or zosyn or cefepime. Viral etiologies are overall the most common etiology of pneumonia symptoms, but you'll likely end up treating empirically with antibiotics for at least 48 hours while collecting data and assessing response. Shoot for five days of treatment and reassess after two to three days to see if you should extend. And again, consider steroids in severe CAP or sepsis or shock. Causes of persistent fevers or worsening clinical status while on antibiotics include a wrong bug, meaning a virus or a fungal infection the wrong drug, including resistant bacteria, wrong process, including a non-infectious etiology, no source control, including effusions and empyemas or abscesses, and then not enough time, as fevers usually take two to four days to resolve, even with appropriate treatment. Patients are ready to be discharged after being afebrile for 48 hours, and they're close to baseline in terms of oxygenation and hemodynamics. For pearls, as they relate to etiology, Lobar pneumonia and bronchopneumonia, usually involving the lower lobes, is primarily caused by pneumococci, whereas interstitial pneumonia is more commonly caused by mycoplasma and viral infections. However, a pathogen should not be assumed just based on imaging results. Coxiella burnetti can cause atypical pneumonia from inhalation of aerosols from secretions of livestock or ingestion of raw milk from cattle, sheep, or goats. Hematogenous spread to the lungs is very rare, and it's usually only the case when there's a significant nidus, like an endocarditis, and it's often staph. Aspiration pneumonitis is an important mimic of pneumonia. It happens after aspiration of aggravating substances into the airway without infection. Its imaging and symptoms are caused by lung parenchyma inflammation. It's more abrupt and may cause low-grade fevers. It commonly will be seen in the right middle lobe or right lower lobe if the aspiration happens when the patient's upright or the right upper lobe when they're supine. It's tough to tell the difference from pneumonia, and you usually end up treating for CAP for at least 48 hours and stopping if the patient recovers rapidly. If you're concerned about aspiration pneumonia, consider the risk factors including altered mental status, trouble swallowing, and poor dentition. It's still most commonly caused by GnRs and other standard CAP organisms. Anaerobes do not commonly grow in lung tissue. In retrospect, if the chest x-ray clears quickly, it was more likely aspiration pneumonitis than a bacterial pneumonia. Cryptogenic Organizing Pneumonia, or COP, is a pneumonia-like disease and imaging appearance due to non-infectious chronic inflammation. Be on the lookout in those taking amiodarone or who have a history of rheumatoid arthritis. For pearls related to the presentation and diagnosis, note that any pulmonary disease can mimic pneumonia. You can still have a viral infection and a bacterial pneumonia. Having a positive RVP does not mean that you should withhold antibiotics in the correct clinical context. As a reminder, CURB-65 and PSI are used to calculate mortality risk and have technically not been validated for determining the ideal place of care, but they can be valuable for determining sick versus not sick. Rhinorrhea and sore throat are more commonly seen in URI and are less typical for CAP. Sputum samples are usually not sent due to low sensitivity and yield. Strep pneumo and H flu are very tough to grow in culture. If you do send it, it's considered an adequate sample if there's greater than 25 PMNs and less than 10 squamous epithelial cells. Otherwise, there's concern that the sample was just saliva. You should only send blood cultures if there's concern for severe pneumonia or sepsis, because they're positive in less than 20% of inpatients with pneumonia. The MRSA nasal swab has a 98% negative predictive value for MRSA pneumonia. If it's negative, you can feel comfortable pulling off MRSA coverage unless the patient is severely ill. Note that this is only studied on admission MRSA swabs, not if the patient had concern for a hospital-acquired pneumonia after they've been admitted. Procalcitonin was also validated in ICU settings to try and limit duration of antibiotics. Thus, on admission, it can be tough to interpret. But in general, if it's very high, it can indicate a bacterial infection and it would be useful to trend. You can also consider stopping antibiotics if the level trends down to less than 80% of its peak or is less than 0.25 or 0.5 at any point. Note that procalcitonin has variable sensitivity. For patients with a negative procalcitonin of less than 0.5, it may be reasonable to discontinue beta-lactam antibiotics but continue coverage for atypical pathogens with azithromycin or doxycycline, because gram-negatives raise it whereas atypicals are less likely to raise it. Note that procalcitonin may be falsely low in immunosuppressed patients. Legionella urine antigens should be sent if there's severe CAP or if there's concomitant hyponatremia noting that this association is likely overstated, diarrhea, or a recent exposure. If the patient's immunocompromised, you should consider PJP, aspergillus, histoplasma, coccidioides, candida, and CMV. Note that a beta-D-glucan is sensitive but not specific for fungal infections. And bacterial pneumonia should not cause pulmonary nodules. This would be more consistent with a fungal infection. For pearls related to treatment, high flow nasal cannula can help to reduce work of breathing and stave off intubation. It's likely better than BiPAP since patients can tolerate it for longer and it allows for easier clearance of secretions. In general, unless you're concerned about poor source control, resistance, or a new infection, seven days of antibiotics is almost always sufficient even in sick ICU patients with MRSA or Pseudomonas. You should only give metronidazole or clindamycin if you're concerned about a lung abscess or empyema because these represent non-oxygenated areas in or around our lung where anaerobes can grow. Do not treat for anaerobes if it's run-of-the-mill aspiration pneumonia. Fluoroquinolones, and likely way less so azithromycin, can prolong QT, Beware if you're on other prolonging medicines. Ciprofloxacin is less effective than levofloxacin or moxifloxacin at treating pneumococcal respiratory infections and should be avoided in pneumonia. The reason is because it has less gram-positive coverage like strep pneumo and less lung penetration. Linazolid can cause serotonin syndrome when given with other medications such as SSRIs and methadone. Daptomycin cannot be used for pneumonia since it's inactivated by surfactant. Atypical bacteria need to be treated with something other than a beta-lactam because they have either absent or unique cell walls. Patients with Legionella may benefit from an extended course of antibiotics, like azithromycin, daily for 7-10 to days instead of the usual 3 days. When it comes to deciding on something like double pseudomonas coverage and severe CAP you should rarely be considering this in patients that have structural lung disease or those at very high risk for mortality RCTs have not seen that it helps but if you're going to cover you should probably choose amikacin because pseudomonas that's resistant to cefepime or meropenem is also likely resistant to options like fluoroquinolones noting that there's a risk of AKI with amikacin in an excellent blog post in EM crit They argue that a good time to use it would be septic shock secondary to a hospital-acquired pneumonia in the setting of gram-negative bacteremia and good underlying renal function. Quote, In order for double coverage to be beneficial, a chain of events must occur. The patient must truly have VAP. That VAP must be due to a gram-negative. The gram-negative must be resistant to the beta-lactam. The gram-negative must be sensitive to the second antibiotic and broader antibiotic coverage must make a clinical difference. The likelihood of this entire sequence of events occurring is about 1-2%, end quote. We'll link off to that great article. For pearls related to complications, POCUS is a good option for trending effusions. If an effusion is large or loculated, you'll likely need to drain it via thoracentesis. An empyema may need a pigtail catheter to continuously drain the fluid. A parapneumonic effusion may develop in the pleural space adjacent to a pneumonia. They're seen in anywhere from 20 to 57% of inpatients with pneumonia, and 5 to 10% of which progress to an empyema. It usually takes about 300 cc of fluid to be seen on a chest x-ray. And effusions are considered complicated if the fluid has a positive gram stain or culture or it's loculated. An empyema is purulence in the plural space, and these will always require drainage for source control. Light's criteria is used to assess for an exudative versus a transudative effusion. The ratio of the protein in an effusion to the protein in the serum greater than 0.5, or the ratio of LDH in the effusion to the LDH in the serum of greater than 0.6 is considered to be diagnostic for an exudative effusion. You can also look for low pH- low glucose, as other suggestions that this is an exudative effusion, but those are not formally part of Light's criteria. In general, pleural effusions alone are rarely the cause of dyspnea or hypoxia unless it takes up more than half of a hemithorax. In this case, you should be thinking about other etiologies for severe dyspnea. If the patient doesn't improve with antibiotics or they keep getting recurrent pneumonia, you should think about recurrent aspiration, an underlying lung disease like COPD or bronchiectasis, a post obstructive condition like a new malignancy, immunodeficiency that's not diagnosed, or cryptogenic organizing pneumonia, and a CT might help clarify these. Mycoplasma can cause erythema multiforme as well as an autoimmune hemolytic anemia from IgM cold agglutinins. That's all for this episode. Check out pointofcaremedicine.com to see the templates we discussed as well as the pearls, literature, and links to other resources.